We talk about our story, like our life story, as if it's a flat one thing. Like you can give someone your life story and they will somehow understand you. Mm. And I, I, I represent this as a cue ball from pool. Mm. It's white. It's made of one material. It's the same no matter how you look at it. It's one thing. But our stories are actually more like a rubber band ball where it is not one thing. It's the compilation of countless other strands. Um, you know, my, the story of my parents' divorce is as much a part of me as moving to a new state as going to college, as getting married. All of these important things have their own story mm. and they add to my story. Wow. And, and each of those stories is meaningful in a different way. The stories of my pain matter and the stories of my hope and success matter. And, and I think we just haven't created the space to share those deeper parts of our life. Welcome back to Advent Next, a theological podcast curated for curious faith discussions. Today, our guest is Caleb Isley. He is the founder of Humans of Adventism and Organ Adventist Stories, along with being the script editor for the I'm Listening podcast with Justin Koo. This week, we are exploring the inspiration behind Humans of Adventism and the lost art of listening to other people's stories and sharing our own journey the beautiful messes and the discouraging despairs, and a way that affirms our common humanity. How do we create a space for meaningful human connection? We filmed this particular segment before our current quarantine, which the content has only proved to be more relevant today as our worlds have slowed down and we find time to make space to learn and grow from one another. Before we get started, We want to thank the Adventist Learning Community for making this program possible. If you're not already following us on Facebook, Instagram, or YouTube, be sure to find us at the handle at AdventNext. You can follow our guest at the Instagram handle at Caleb Isley, and you can find his work at Humans of Adventism. I'm your host, Kendra Arsenal, and this is AdventNext. If you were to describe my job, I'm kind of like this digital octopus where I have like lots of different projects that I'm managing, lots of different things I'm keeping my eyes on and lots of different ideas I'm pitching all at the same time. Uh, So closest thing is maybe freelancer, although I have steady contract work for the Oregon Conference, which is kind of the main uh, income for me. But what I do is produce stories. And so specifically Seventh-day Adventist stories. And I, I sit with people, I talk to them about their lives, and I think what kind of sets this a little outside the boundaries of most Adventist media is that we really talk about the, the formative issues mm. and, and the impactful things, including pain mm. and including um, problems that they experience within the church. Mm. And so it's not always this kind of um, polished version of someone, and it's not always driving toward any specific devotional point other than we as people need these perspectives and these stories of other people's lives Mm. in order to understand each other better. Underneath this is the principle that uh, our capacity to love is uh, increased by our capacity to listen. Mm. So when God says, you know, love me, but also love your neighbor, our ability to love people deeply depends on us knowing them. Wow. As as much as we possibly can. Yeah, and that's that's great. I love 
I love the listening aspect because mm-hmm. that's what the Shema is, right? Hear, O Israel. Mm-hmm. And I think that's the first kind of their their big command is to listen. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I guess the short version of how I started doing this is I grew up Adventist, a very conservative Adventist, both politically and religiously, um, really exposed to very similar perspectives all throughout my life. So uh, straight white Seventh-day Adventists were the adults in my life. Okay. They were my teachers. They were the uh, family members that I looked up to. They were the mentors, the youth pastors. All of them fit within this category wow. for a long period of time. Hmm. And really, I today, um, I, I told someone, like, the first black classmate that I had was in ninth grade. Oh, wow. Uh, the first time that I came into contact with someone attracted to the same sex, I was in high school. Mm-hmm. Um, the first time that I had a conversation with someone who was Muslim, I was like 25. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, so exposure to uh, people's stories came through the mouths of people who hadn't lived their lives. Wow. I was told about other people growing up. Uh, you know, I had kind of a basic understanding, but it was a very skewed perspective and not a, 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 I guess, a full understanding of humanity. Hmm. What Uh, ways was it skewed that you feel like it didn't give a full depiction? Well, for example, uh, history, learning history, America was always the victor and therefore always the moral superior, Hmm. right? I never once heard a story of uh, the United States was the villain, Wow. I never heard a story of, even when we talked about things that were horrific, the Trail of Tears, uh, these different things, they really downplayed uh, us as a corporate body yeah. in, in the lives and perspectives of the people experiencing it that wow. were, you know, the, the people at the, who suffered because of the decisions that we made. Mm. And so, you know, I had this very patriotic view that, you know, we were uh, in power in different situations because we were morally better. Wow. Um, okay. This this carried into understand understandings of race as well. Mm. I don't think that anyone that I grew up around uh, would explicitly say that they were uh, racist or prejudiced, but all of the little interactions that built my worldview had that message. Mm. Um, and my exposure to people came through the news. It came through uh, how the people around me talked about other people. It came through uh, jokes I was exposed to, Mm -hmm. Um, you know, just really all of these little things that added up to, you know, when you come into contact with someone, what is the information that you have to determine what they're like? And so I I was very disillusioned with that, very disillusioned with, um, I would say, church in general going into early adulthood not because I had lost any view of God or anything like that, but I just really didn't understand why we gathered together to sing, to listen to someone talk, and then we went home, and then we came back and did it again. It seemed very ritual gotcha. to me. Didn't feel like it was having a life and an impact in your everyday life and community? I, I actually felt that church was getting in the way of my relationship with God and other people. Interesting. I felt that I could be closer to what Jesus was like, hmm by taking that day and going and serving somebody, hmm. you know, by taking that day and, and actually resting. Right. Uh, I had certain times in my life where I was a full-time student, also working close to a full-time job. And to take that Sabbath day and actually feel rest, I felt so much closer to God than, than going to church and really not coming away feeling closer yeah. to God at all. 
And so, you know, I had these frustrations, uh, left the church for a couple of years and was Adventist in my beliefs, you know, those things didn't change, but just really didn't see the point of gathering each week with a group of people that didn't seem to, to, to want to emulate the heart of God or, or if they did, I wasn't seeing it, wow. you know, that's powerful because I think, especially if you're, especially at that age, you know, mm-hmm. we tend to be very idealistic in our youth, yeah. you know, 18 to 22 to 25. And when we see other people who are living to their, the, the best of their understanding of how, what it means to live with our neighbors and they're doing a superior job, mm. uh, but they're not Christian, they're not Adventist, but they have uh, other worldviews, mm-hmm. like that tends to strike us as more authentic. Mm-hmm. It can really kind of separate us from like j- just wanting to see anything in the church or wanting to be involved in the church because we see that, that this isn't having a practical uh, impact in my everyday life or how I'm helping other people or the world. Yeah. And, you know, I attended public college, mm-hmm. so um, I was seeing these groups of atheists and humanists uh, public servants. I mean, people who really dedicated their lives to helping other people, whether it was volunteering to help them with difficult times or volunteering with the homeless population in Charleston or whatever. I, I saw them doing, being the hands and feet of Jesus. And then I saw my church and we spent a whole lot of time programming, mm. a whole lot of time and money putting on, you know, concerts and, and these different uh, worship events. But at the same time, my heart was for the other people, mm. you know, and so it was really difficult for me and went through a long process of, of being brought back to church eventually. But my question still was, what is my place in church? And if I don't want to be a literature evangelist, if I don't want to be a pastor, if I don't want to be a deacon, what do I do? Okay. Like, what's my role aside from just sitting here and listening every week? Is there some action item that I can add to my church culture. Mm. And at the time I had really, really been pushing against this, uh, this idea of kind of one forced perspective over my life. Like I really wanted to read diverse authors. I really wanted to hear from people that had lived differently from me. I really wanted to expose myself to content that was, uh, from a different angle. And during this time was when I came across the page humans of New York. Okay. And what I started doing was I read that every every post they made, I probably read it within an hour of posting. I was mm-hmm. always watching the page, reading every single and and racked up probably hundreds of of stories I had taken in. And what I started doing was tracking my reaction when I saw the picture versus after reading that person's story. Mm. And they were so different. Wow. And, 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 and visually, even, I felt that, that that person looked different to me once I understood more of their circumstances, their, uh, where they were living, what they'd been through. And I, I remember thinking, Adventists need this so bad. Mm-hmm. We need the ability to not be stuck in this silo that I felt like I was confined to. Gotcha. Um, and, and we need the ability to, to come across content that exposes us to different things that, that makes us question uh, if we really know as much as we think we do. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And, and so that's, that's the short version. Right. And um, I think it's an interesting story because 
you know, whether we admit it or not, you know, we tend to be people who profile other people. Mm-hmm. You know, we see the outward indications and we kind of make an assessment about who they are, their character, their story, even though we have no information. Mm-hmm. And so to really kind of have that um, drive that you had to, to really put their story in contrast to maybe what their outer appearance looked like or what your, your first impressions might be, mm-hmm. I think is the first step that we can take to start seeing us as kind of your title indicates as humans yeah. rather than people to categorize and as uh, is this dangerous? Is this safe? I yeah. really see people as people. I, I think there's, there's not a lot of value in making a decision because you have no information, mm. right? And so there are people who have a really hard time when I'll post where someone's been affected by social issues, you know, that, that people see as political and, and, my advice to them is even if you end up believing similar to what you did, you should make these decisions and these uh, form these opinions and, and worldview off of all of the information you can get. Mm. Right. You should we should never be a people who are like limiting the amount, because if we're doing that, what that shows is that we uh, don't really have a grasp on the truth. The truth can defend itself. The The more you pursue truth, the more true it seems. Yeah. Um, and, and when it's you only make a decision because you know nothing else, that's not a really a decision. Yeah. That's your only option. Yeah. Um, yeah and, and so I don't know. I just over time, I think it was as much my journey uh, in understanding humanity put on public display as it might have been in you know, my mission to bring other people into that as well. What's been something that has kind of been pivotal for you as you are taking this journey uh, with, with Humans of Adventism um, from, from its inception to where you are now? What are some of those key moments that you can look back on and say, wow, this really changed my perspective or wow, this is really helping me to grow as a person or... Yeah, I think I think it happens often and regularly because uh, people's stories you you just never you never know what's living in them and what they've lived through and and I I will never stop being in awe of humanity. Um, I think that that an understanding that's really changed me is um, we talk about our story like our life story as if it's a flat one thing. Like you can give someone your life story and they will somehow understand you. Mm. And I, I, I represent this as a cue ball from pool. Mm. It's white. It's made of one material. It's the same no matter how you look at it. It's one thing. But our stories are actually more like a rubber band ball where it is not one thing. It's the compilation of countless other strands. Um, you know, my, the story of my parents' divorce is as much a part of me as moving to a new state as going to college, as getting married, all of these important things have their own story mm. and they add to my story. Wow. And, and each of those stories is meaningful in a different way. Mm-hmm. The stories of my pain matter and the stories of my hope and success matter. And, and I think we just haven't created the space to share those deeper parts of our life. Mm. If you're walking and you're tired, and there's no bench, do you sit down? No. The space hasn't been created. You walk until you find somewhere that's designated for you to sit. Because we use the spaces for what they're created for. 
And when it comes to sharing stories, we haven't done a great job of creating those spaces where we actually share these things. So mm. I've found myself in a position now where I'm sharing these deep experiences of people and their friends are messaging us saying, I didn't know this. Wow. That's powerful. That's so powerful. And I love that illustration because uh, it shows the importance of opening up those spaces, even in our day-to-day conversations with other people. You know, we walk by people and we say, how are you doing? And they mm. say, fine. And we give them a, a five-second window to, to talk with us. But are they really able to share what is really going on with their life in five seconds? No, we haven't created space. And do we want them to? Mm. How well do we want to know each other? I think yeah. that's a challenge I have for myself and everyone else is that when we ask that, we are not prepared for a five-minute answer. Right. Right. If, if you're walking and you ask that and you're still walking, you've already shown that person that you actually don't want anything from them. Mm. You just want to say something and leave. Uh, but creating the space would be stopping and saying, hey, you look tired or uh, it's cold out here and you're don't outside. Don't say that to a girl, though. It, you look tired as always. Sure. You look terrible today. <laughs> and you're like, oh, no, I actually wasn't tired. Okay, I need to go fresh. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, think, I think the initiative to look someone in the eye, to share space with them, and open yourself to any emotional need that they might have. Yeah. Not, not try to be a therapist, but try to be a supportive person that is willing to listen. Wow. Um, I had a student today that I was sitting, uh, in the, in the, I think it's the gazebo underneath the Mm -hmm. cafeteria at Andrews. And I was sitting there and I was doing my work and he comes and he has his backpack and he's like, Hey, I just wanted to talk to you about this thing. And you could tell that he didn't want to bother me, Mm. right? He was still holding his backpack and he just said a real quick thing and he was expecting to be like dismissed. Mm. And I said, Hey, do you have time? right? Because I have time. Why don't you sit down? Wow. And, and, and what could have been a 30-second interaction that was relatively meaningless uh, became a, a deep conversation about a mm. project that this person wanted to start and the influence that came from one of the stories that they read. Mm. And, and I think that we can do a better job if we're intentional. Making time. I mm-hmm. think sometimes I know for myself, I can get so caught up in things that I have to do Mm -hmm. and here's my schedule and I don't have a a moment's break in here and we don't tend to find a flexibility within that. Mm -hmm. But really it doesn't take all that much time. Like he said, you sat down for, for five, maybe 10 minutes with this person and had a significant conversation and that didn't cost that much. It's really picking what you will are willing to sacrifice for that. Mm -hmm. You know, I know myself, I don't have to spend five minutes watching an interesting video on a video game or, you know, a a kind of peripheral news story. Mm. Uh, I could, in fact, sacrifice that for that interaction that I had, you know, so it's not always, I think it's easy to, to kind of deflect onto the important things. Like Mm. I have to eat food. I have to pay my bills, but there are other things that maybe we have a little more wiggle room that we could give up in order to see people. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. You know, what are we willing to give to see people? Mm -hmm. And I think myself included, I think I've been on this journey where um, as I continue to have more responsibilities as I'm in school and working and a part of different organizations and 
really realizing how much, you know, I'm thinking I don't have time, I don't have time, but I do steal away time to do things that are less productive or less, th- um, you know, it, it's not necessarily on the trajectory of things that I need to do. And I'm realizing I have tons of random time mm-hmm. that um, I'm thinking that I'm so busy, but actually there are these secret pockets, an hour here, 20 minutes here, 30 minutes here, that I could be using and investing more wisely. And, you know, what you just shared is a perfect example of, of making those types of trade-offs. And it doesn't have to be random people. I think those opportunities present themselves, but uh, no matter where you work, you have coworkers. Yeah. No matter where you attend school, you have classmates. Mm-hmm. You know, there there are people that we could invest in more and get to know more so that when they go to move on, or we do, we don't have this sudden feeling like, oh, I have to get to know them really quick right now because I'm going to miss them. Yeah. Right. We could have been doing that all along, and we just don't get the signal until all of a sudden there's a finality to that that relationship where I, I remember graduation. I remember looking around at all of my classmates thinking, I've been in college with you for years. I know your names. I've passed you hundreds of times in the hallways. And today I learned that, you know, your family does this or you are going on to do this or these are your interests or, you know, we actually came from a similar place in life. Yeah. Why did it take until that day? Mm. Mostly because I went off and ate lunch by myself when I didn't have to. Mm. I didn't stick around after class when I actually had time. Mm. You know, I, I moved on in all these situations where I what I wanted was ease and comfort. Uh, instead of maybe taking that initiative to, to stick around a little bit. Yeah. What do you think are some of the, you know, in your own experiences um, and, and as you're working on this project, what do you think are some of the barriers that people have to making that space and listening? I think we're not confident. Hmm. I think that so many of us are more self-conscious than we let on. And with a whole bunch of self-conscious people around, uh, it's like, passing someone in a hallway and neither of you says hi, but both of you wishes the other person said hi. Mm. Right. Um, I think, I think just empowering your average person to say, no, you are interesting. You have something to offer. And that person is probably interested in you. Mm. And, and I think that we, we have to get away from kind of the different ways we use other people too. Okay. Um, there's, there's a conversation about power dynamics. There's a conversation about safety. Mm. Uh, there's a conversation about even just using other people to leverage your own popularity. Mm. Um, we really have to kind of get away from all of those things and just see value in getting to know people that can't offer us anything. Mm. In, in, in that in itself is valuable, that relationship, that time, even if it doesn't turn into a profit for us, mm. the relationship is the profit. Mm-hmm. And, and I think, yeah, just we really have to restructure what we've been taught because if people are not valuable, if they're not producing something for us, we don't tend to, to give them time. Yeah. And if we don't feel valuable, then we don't think that we have something to offer them. That's true. And unfortunately, there's this saying, you know, the squeaky wheel gets the oil. Mm-hmm. Um, but that there's so much, you know, people that are quiet mm-hmm. um, that have amazing, interesting stories, but they might not be the first one to raise their hand or be the loudest about what's going on in their life. Yeah. And this is where we need to create space for that. 
Mm-hmm. Um, what is so interesting, I went to a, an event in Portland called Beyond Small Talk. Mm-hmm. And the rules were you're not allowed to talk about work, news, politics, uh, none of the small talk topics. Mm-hmm. And the room, I f- there were maybe three extroverted people there mm-hmm. and probably 15 to 20 introverted people. Because there was this deep craving in them to be known and to know other people, and they needed a space, a facilitator, uh, some some reason to sit down and spend that time talking. Yeah. Because I think I think all of us crave that at some level. But you know, how do you choose when to do that? When when we tend to have deep conversations, where are we? We're on uh, long car rides, yeah. right? We're we're late nights in a dorm room or at someone's house when we should have gone home two hours ago. Mm. We are. Um, just in some kind of situation where a tragedy has happened and we're together unexpectedly. Because those spaces somehow uh, lend themselves to us sharing these things. But you may not hear another deep something from someone for years after that. And it may be that one conversation you had that's carrying that, Mm. you know, you may both remember it, but it's not until you get in a situation or a space that feels like it's meant for that that you share again. Yeah. And and I think maybe once we do know a little more about each other, maybe we do create those spaces, mm. right? Maybe once we break through that that ice at first, we look for ways to, to get in that space again. Mm-hmm. Because if, you know, if, if I'm at someone's house watching a basketball game, I'm not talking about my parents' divorce. Right. You know, if, if, if I'm in class with somebody, I'm not sharing some deep personal thing yeah. unless I'm at some emotional breaking point and I can't do anything else. Yeah. Um, so, so creating this space is, is the work that I'm really trying to do. Yeah. It's, it's an fa- fantastic work. In fact, I'm, I'm thinking of two things right now. One of them is I've been listening to this audiobook called the like switch mm-hmm. and it's by this former CIA, um, who was actually, I think he's a former spy and, Basically, he talks about how he got people to like him in his work Mm. to be able to get close to them and and get information. And so it's kind of, you know, he breaks down some of the steps. He's like, you can actually use this in a positive way Mm -hmm. to build friendships. And one of the first things he talks about is just proximity, Mm -hmm. you know, sharing space with people. And he talks about how this guy had staked out uh, and he would just spend time in his car around this other guy for months until finally he would start entering the same store that he entered into, but he didn't talk to him. He would just be in the proximity. And that over time, when they finally entered into this conversation, the guy he was, you know, uh, trying to trying to get to was finally relieved that he finally opened up the conversation because mm. he'd been curious for so long because mm-hmm. this person had been in his space. And it just made me think, you know, I have to spend spending time with somebody is the first step. Yeah, you know, to be able to create space for these kinds of topics. I think I think what's so fascinating about living in 2020 is that you can do this digitally as well. Mm. Um, it's not a replacement for human interaction, but there is a uh, something to entering the space of someone's creative work, of their commentary on life, of their existence uh, through digital methods. That really, I've I have a lot of different people that I have over time supported their work or, you know, interacted with them where I've never met them in person. Mm -hmm. And six months later, after several interactions, 
we meet as friends. There's no awkward small talk. There's no, um, hey, I haven't met you kind of thing. It's when we are together, even though that's the first time, uh, there's a level of trust there. There's a level of camaraderie there that's based on these experiences that we've built up over time. Yeah. Again, it comes down to intentionality. Yeah. Because I do have lots of deep conversations over Facebook Messenger, mm. Instagram Messenger, um, but it's you have to make it. Gotcha. It will not happen naturally, probably. Mm. And uh, sometimes that's just checking on in on a friend that I know has been struggling with depression. Mm. Sometimes it's uh, just saying, "Hey, I I like the things that you do, and I think you're really interesting." And what's a non-threatening way that we can have a friendship? Mm. Um, but just kind of covering your bases where uh, you build trust and you build uh, healthy intimacy. Um, I think you have to go about that in a, in a way that's actually benefiting the other person. Um, but but it's possible. And, and I think yeah. that the Internet is something that is so powerful and we have we have so much ability to to do things in a healthy way mm. and in an intentional way that will lead to us being closer together. Uh, if we do that, if we do our research, if we grow this kind of idea, yeah. but just naturally going with how it works, I don't think that's the end result. Mm. What is the biggest thing or what is the biggest way that you've grown um, mm. since you started Humans of Adventism until now? And part two of that question would be, what would you challenge somebody to do to grow? The biggest thing personally has just been moving from this idea that I am any sort of authority mm. to I am a forever listener, that I am a forever learner, that I will never be in a position to have all the answers mm. or uh, that I, it's not my place to come in and tell people how to live. What I can do is say, my life has worked like this. Here's something that's really benefited it. I can tell my story and that's it. And mm. if people, it's not going to work for them or whatever, that's fine. But maybe it might help them toward healthier change. Mm. Um, I think, I think the other change that's kind of happened in the, in the past year is that I've moved from kind of this new to the scene way out in the woods, like, <laughs> like texting people on their phone kind of, uh, person that no one had ever met or heard of to now moving into, I am helping people start things. I am giving them advice. I am leading them through the, the difficulties of, um, online backlash and, mm. uh, just existing as a young person in a faith setting in the struggles yeah. of questioning and asking the big, you know, existential things. Um, and that's really happened quickly. Okay. Uh, because of the nature of the internet and how quickly things can go. Um, so I don't always recognize that I'm in that role until I've come through it. Mm. And then I say, oh, that person just asked me for advice. Right. Like here I am looking around to everyone else, like to learn from them. And yet this interaction was just that mm. with me on the other side. Mm. So in kind of the culture, sometimes in Christianity, there's this, desire to disciple and mm -hmm. to share and, and kind of it's an, it's an outgoing message rather than a listening message, right? Mm -hmm. How much has that affected maybe even your ability to listen and how would you, you know, counsel someone 
um, if they want to start exercising more of that listening muscle? Yeah. Well, uh, as I've kind of alluded to, I've, I came from an understanding that you were meant to be very authoritative. You were meant to have all of the texts to prove why you believed what you believed. You were meant to go tell people that you had the truth and convince them that you had the truth. Mm. And you did that by arguing better. Mm. And really, when you look at Jesus and you look at how he interacted with people, this is not the model. There are certain instances where he claims that authority and mm. people are receptive. But in other ways, he, he creates that space between himself and other people. The, the story of the woman at the well... The fact that Jesus didn't need water, that he walked over there, put himself in that space, specifically sat and talked to that woman, he created this kind of uh, listening atmosphere where he did end up having the answer, yes, but he put himself in the space to listen, to, to you know... Ask questions. Ask questions, go through mm-hmm. the specifics of her life, and, and really be with her, um, and... and was able to answer even questions of suspicion at first from her yeah. well. Um, and so I think now we have more and more ability to do research for ourselves. Mm. I think even on other people. So when it comes to evangelism, you don't have to explicitly say everything that someone's going to learn about you. Um, I do this. If I meet an authority figure, or I meet somebody new, I will go and look through things that they've said online, you know, jump on Twitter and see the things that they like or have posted over the past year. And you can learn a lot about a person yourself that's very different from what they say. Mm. And I think that this is uh, enough of the culture now where um, what people really want to see is how is your belief making you a better person? Mm. And will it make me a better person? Because if it's not, I have no time for that. I have no interest in that. We 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 really don't have a lot of situations where we can just go into a, a, a conversation or a relationship and say, God said this, this is why you should accept it. Mm. That's not how a lot of people are going to uh, be receptive, right? What they are going to do is look at, over time, the ways that your beliefs and you sticking to those beliefs affects your life. Mm. Uh, I had this happen before I started doing this with my coworkers where... I was the only person taking every Saturday off. And I was in a, a, an industry where taking any days off was kind of frowned, frowned upon. Um, and especially sacrificing uh, days that you could make more money and taking those days off, unheard of. And over time, people began to burn out in, in that kind of you know, 70, 80 hour a week kind of work. Yeah. Uh, Yes, they would make more money, but they were not healthier or happier. And I think something that people started to notice was I came back to work each week, reset, mm. right? And, and got this kind of time away where I could, I could come back to my relationships, I could rest and then come back to work a new week mm. and be positive about that new week. And, and it was a situation where people felt a loss at not having that. Yeah. So did I ever have to say, you guys need to, to observe Sabbath? No. The effects of observing Sabbath were evident in my life. Right. Um, Daniel and, and the other boys not eating the king's food, right? Yeah. Well, at first, you're going to seem crazy. 
but over time, there's an effect of these things. Right. And, and I think that people are smarter than we give them credit for and more observant than we give them credit for. That's true. How would you challenge somebody this year uh, to kind of, you know, grow at, mm. and, and, and in the area of seeing people, of making space? What would be something that you would challenge them to do? I would say make an honest list of the uh, parts of society that they've had lots of contact with and the parts that they might think that they have but actually can't think of the last time they talked to someone from there. Whether that's, uh, you know, race or whether that's age. You know, if you if you are 22 years old and you can't remember the last time you talked to someone who's 60 that's not your grandparent. There are perspectives from older people that you will not get without having some kind of relationship with them. Yeah. If you are, you know, living in a certain class of society, if you're wealthy and you have not talked a lot with people who live in low-income housing or, you know, are, are really struggling day-to-day with transportation needs or, or something like that, I think the challenge I would give people is find the spaces that they have not been exposed to or that they've been actively avoiding. Mm. And, and find ways to understand those spaces better and even better find relationships that, that will expose them to the lives within those spaces. If somebody wants to find out more about Humans of Adventism, mm-hmm. where should they go? Yeah, Facebook and Instagram is the first place that we post uh, new stories. So just look up Humans of Adventism or uh, you can visit our website at AdventistHumans.com. Thanks so much for being our guest today. You're welcome. I hope you were inspired today to look for moments where you can stop and listen to the stories and life lessons of the people around you as an expression of care. Make sure to tune in next week as we continue exploring topics related to life and faith. We want to thank the Adventist Learning Community for making this program possible, as well as our guest, Caleb Isley. If you're not already following us on Facebook, YouTube, or Instagram, be sure to do so at the handle at Advent Next. You can follow our guest at the Instagram handle at Caleb Isley and his work at Humans of Adventism. Thanks so much for tuning in and see you next week.